On Sunday mornings, I've been preaching through uh, the book of Habakkuk, which has been quite a challenging book, but also something that's been very timely with what's going on in the world and things like that. So I wanted to bring to you this evening uh, one of the messages that I have uh, shared with Riverside. It's a very famous verse uh, here at the beginning of uh, chapter 2. I'm going to be reading Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and I'm going to ask if you would to please stand in reverence for the reading of God's holy, inspired, and errant word to us, his people. Habakkuk chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. I will take my stand at my watch post, station myself on the tower, and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So we're looking at this uh, famous passage, especially verse 4 there, from the book of Habakkuk. And if you didn't know, Habakkuk is an oracle, or maybe called or translated a burden from God, to this prophet named Habakkuk, who was writing when God was raising up this terrible nation, a Babylon, to judge his people, the people of Judah, because of their sins. Now, whenever a society experiences good times, where things seem to be getting better and better, you know, the economy's good, things are going good socially, it begins to feel like peace and prosperity are really the rule of the world and the right of all sensible people. You know, this is how things should be. But in the Bible, in places like the book of Habakkuk, places like the book of Job, among others, we find that this simply isn't true always. No, the truth is we have no idea whether or not the days ahead of us, whether tomorrow will be a good day or a time of evil. And so while we hope for the best, we as Christians must be prepared for the worst. And so books like Habakkuk and Job and the Psalms, among others, help us to do that. They prepare our hearts for whatever may come because they tell us don't count on good times, but even in times of evil and disaster, you should know that God is at work and there are ways for us to face it. Now in, cha- in Habakkuk chapter 1, uh, what you find if you read that chapter is Habakkuk raises his complaint to the Lord about all the violence and the corruption that's going on around him in the nation of Judah. And so God then replies to the complaint that Habakkuk raised by saying, I'm going to raise up the nation of Babylon. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians against my people, the people of Judah. And things are actually going to get worse before they get better. And so Habakkuk cries out to God once again. And God answers with a woe of judgment against the nation of Babylon beginning in chapter 2 verse 5. But what we find in the beginning of chapter 2 in these four verses is that there's this interlude where Habakkuk is waiting, waiting on the Lord, which is something that we as Christians often have to do, don't we? We have to wait on the Lord and his sovereign providence to answer our prayers. And so as we look at this passage tonight, I think there are four things, four ways in which this passage shows us how we 
as Christians today, are to wait on the Lord. We're to wait watchfully. We're to wait in obedience. We're to wait with patience. And we're to wait by faith. So those are the four ways that we're going to look at this uh, verse, these couple of verses here before us. So if you would, let's look at the first one, which is uh, wait on the Lord watchfully. And I want you to notice that after receiving God's reply to his first complaint and then issuing a second complaint, Habakkuk says in verse 1, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what the Lord will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Now Habakkuk lived in a day in which cities often were fortified by walls. And on those walls, generally at the corners, they would have these towers, these watch posts, where they would send a soldier up there to look out and to see what might be coming near them. And you can understand why a city or uh, in those days, or even why cities today have high places and watchtowers, right? So you can look out and see what might be coming toward you. You know, today we typically don't have invading armies coming toward us, but we look out for things like the weather and to see whether or not a storm may be approaching and whether we need to, to, to get ready for that. Well, in Habakkuk's day, not only did they look out for storms, they also looked out for possibly enemies who would be invading. And see, if you were on the ground, there's no way you would be able to see them unless you had somebody who was up high looking out so that when he saw them coming could yell down, hey, there's an army coming, you need to prepare and you need to get ready. If you were on the ground and they were knocking at your gates, so to speak, you wouldn't know what to do. You wouldn't know how big the army was. You wouldn't know how to make preparations or how many reinforcements you would need to fight them off. And so every city in those days had a, a watchtower or a watch post. And you see, the reason Habakkuk says, I'm going to go to the tower and go to the watch post, is that he's trying to get close to the Lord. What he's doing is he's anticipating that the Lord is going to speak to him and being in this tower high above everything else gives him the perspective to consider what God says and what God's word is to him and to the people of Judah as they're anxiously looking out at whatever's going on around them. And so one of the things this tells us believers today is that it's only in God's presence that we have a true vantage point for our lives and, and do we find true safety in our lives. Now we're not sure whether Habakkuk literally climbed up into the city's tower or not. But at the very least this is a metaphor for what was going on in Habakkuk's life spiritually. In his commentary on this passage John Calvin said that this tower is the recess of the mind in which we get God's perspective on things. But how can we ascend to it? Calvin asked. He says, let the word of God become our ladder, for it is by God's word that we are raised up to this citadel, that is the safeguard of hope, where we may remain safe and secure, looking down on all the things that disturb us. In other words, what this means is that when you're waiting on the Lord, you must look at everything around you, not just your problems. You need to get to a place where you are by the word looking down on everything that's going on around you because you, uh, by God's word and by his grace, have been lifted up in fellowship with him. And, and so you have to look at your problems, you have to look at your situation in light of who God is and everything that he's doing and has done. And most of all, you have to look at it in the bigger perspective of everything 
that God's word tells us. You know, in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, the apostle Paul found himself in such a situation. You know, he was constantly facing suffering and persecutions and things like that. And he wrote to the Romans and he said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed within us. So Paul says, all the sufferings and all the persecutions that I face as a child of God, I look at it from the perspective of what God says in his holy word and what he's done in my life and in history past. But not only that, what he says he will do in the days to come. And he says, though my sufferings may look really big right now in this place where I am, they look small once they're compared to the glory of the Lord that will be revealed. You see, the Apostle Paul is showing us something very important for the life of the Christian. He's showing us how to live in any situation. He says we need to look at all things from the perspective of God's sovereignty over everything. That's what it means to go to the tower, as it were, like Habakkuk is saying. You see, Paul is recalling the things that he's read in Scripture and that God has told him. And as he's contemplating the glory of God to come, it penetrates his heart and his mind. And it enables him to handle any suffering that he must endure in the present. And so we see that Habakkuk really doing the same thing in his day. He's going to the tower, so to speak, and he's waiting on God to show up, watching in anticipation because he knows that God will act and he's doing it from a place where he can get the right perspective. Now, brothers and sisters, do you know how to get that perspective today? When troubles and suffering come in your life, do you know how, how to get the perspective that you can look down on troubles from everything else? Well, to do that, you've got to go to the Bible and you've got to read and reflect on what it tells us about God. Then you've got to look at everything else, especially your difficulties in life, in light of what it says. So that's, first of all, how we must wait on God watchfully. Secondly, this also show that we, shows us that we must wait upon God in obedience. I want you to notice here that Habakkuk doesn't just say that he's going to the tower to sit idly. You know, he says, I'm not going to go up there and, and just sit and hang out and mess with my phone until God shows up. No, he says, like a soldier, I will stand my watch. Now, some of you may have served in the military in the past or had a father or, or a brother or somebody in your family who's done that. And, and if so, you know that there's one thing that a soldier must never, ever do, no matter what. And that means leaving your post. A soldier never, ever, ever leaves their post. It doesn't matter if they feel bad, if they're sleepy, if they're bored. The one thing they can never do is leave where they've been assigned, leave their post. You know, if you think of a soldier in Habakkuk's day doing something like that, it could, you could easily see how the city or whatever they're guarding might fall. You know, the whole thing might be sacked and, and taken away. You see, you can't say, well, you know, I've been up here day after day and I've never even seen one enemy approaching our fair city. Why do I have to sit up here all the time? It's so boring. You see, you can't say, well, I've never seen an enemy, so I'll just take off early today. No, this means though you may be weary or confused, though you may feel like God is completely absent and it seems like you're facing one difficulty after another and you may be getting nothing out of watching and waiting. It may seem like you're getting nothing out of it all. The one thing you cannot do is to leave your post. 
See, as Christians, we're being called to be like soldiers in this sense that we can't walk away. We can't be lazy. We can't leave our post. We have to stick with the Lord and follow him even when we don't feel like it. And especially, I might say, when we don't feel like it. We must wait upon the Lord and obey him. See, what often happens with Christians today is that when it seems like God is absent in our lives during difficult or evil evil times, it's easy to stop doing the things that we normally do. It's easy to, you know, maybe miss worship a Sunday here or there. Because, you know, I don't feel good today. I just don't feel like I can get up and go. You know, it's easy for us to, to stop praying maybe and say, well, I've been praying and praying the Lord's not doing anything. Why am I keeping doing this? Sometimes we even cut ourselves off from Christian fellowship and our Sunday school classes and and maybe our small groups and things like that. Maybe we even stop reading our Bibles. But you see, the problem is when we do that, we become consumed with ourselves and our self-pity. Our problems become so, uh, they blindside us so, they, they, they are so much in front of us that we can't see anything else. But now I want you for, for just a moment to imagine a soldier who has gone AWOL, who has left his post, and then he's called into a court-martial, and then him saying, well, you know, I really wasn't wasn't feeling good that day, so I just decided to leave. You know, I really wasn't getting anything out of of sitting there at at my post. I know my superior told me to stay there, but I wasn't getting anything out of it. It wasn't really benefiting me, so I just left. Now imagine for a moment the court-martial, the judge, or whoever coming up and saying, well, uh, you know, it's okay, I understand, I've been bored too, case dismissed. What are the chances of that happening? Slim and none, and Slim has just left town, right? That would never, ever happen in a court-martial in the army. And you see, like that, we as Christians are being called to obey the Lord at all times, especially in difficult times. You know, there's a place where, where a lot of disciples had gone AWOL. Do you remember that? When the disciples were with Jesus, and there was a whole bunch of them. And Jesus turns and he says something difficult to him. He says, oh, one more thing. I've, I fed you all with, with the bread and the fish. Uh, but there's one more thing. If you really want to see the kingdom of God, if you really want to be with me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people are like, we have to what? And so a lot of them go AWOL. They leave. And so really it looks like at that point in time only the 12 are left and Jesus turns to them and he says, do you want to leave too? And Peter, like a good Christian soldier, says to Jesus, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of life. So you see, waiting on the Lord in obedience means not only looking to him in faith and doing what we should do, but it also means avoiding doing things that we shouldn't do. One of the difficult things for us is when we face hardship in our lives, it's easy for us to turn to other things, to try and find comfort, to make make ourselves feel good. And because we live in such a materialistic and affluent society, we tend to indulge in things to make ourselves feel better. You know, we do it by spending money on things that we shouldn't spend money on. We do it by indulging ourselves with food or maybe drink, alcohol or other things to try and make us feel better, to to lift up our spirits. And see, these things may give us a temporary high. They make us feel better in the moment. But afterwards, what often happens is we wind up feeling way worse than we were to start with. And you see, then also when things really get bad, we're also tempted to run away. You know, say, I'm just not going to deal with this difficulty. This is really hard. I'm just not even going to deal with it. I'm going to leave. But all of these are examples of leaving your post. 
You see, Habakkuk resolved, no matter what happens, even if I'm tired, I feel bad, even if I'm ridiculed by others, which he, along with many of the other prophets in the Old Testament, we know were ridiculed. Habakkuk says, no matter what happens, I am not leaving. I am not moving. You know, there's a great line in the last Captain America movie, Captain America Civil War. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie, but I, I like that movie and I really like this line where, where Captain America, our hero, is in a difficult spot and he's sort of down about it. And a friend comes alongside him and says this, says, where you cannot compromise, don't even think about it. Even if everyone is telling you that something, is, something wrong is something right, even if the whole world is telling you to move, it is your duty to plant yourself like a tree, look them in the eye, and say, no, you move. You see, that's an example of what it means to wait watchfully and in obedience, which are the first two things that we see here. Now, third, the third thing we see is that this shows us that we are to wait on the Lord with patience. Notice verse 2. Habakkuk says, the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he who uh, reads it may run. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. So the Lord says to Habakkuk, I'm coming. I'm going to answer your prayer. Be patient. As a matter of fact, what I want you to do is I want you to write this down. And he said, I want you to write this down so that feet may run, which means he was supposed to take that message from the Lord and go throughout Judah and tell everybody, here's what's going on. Here's what the Lord is doing. He is at work. Even though it doesn't look like he is, he is coming and coming quickly. But Habakkuk wrote that down not only for the people of Judah, he wrote it for us so that we would have God's word today and so what we find here is the Lord says I'm sending you this revelation but it may linger but wait for it now the Hebrew word for wait here means be patient don't give up don't despair and don't become agitated now we live in such an instant society if we have to wait very long for anything it absolutely drives us crazy you know a few weeks ago my family had gone to a restaurant And we were in this restaurant, and we ordered, and we sat there, and we sat there, and we sat there. And it's like, my goodness, this is taking a long time. I didn't say that, but I was sort of thinking it. But at one point, a certain little person in our party says uh, a little too loudly, Where are my pancakes and okra? Now, that is what this person had ordered. But it was like, shh, you know, they're going to hear us. Don't say that. But you see, what she said very loudly I was really thinking in my head and in my heart, okay? I didn't come out and say it, but it's most definitely what I was thinking. It's like, my stars, how long does it take to fix food? Why do we not have our food yet? And so as I was crafting this sermon, I was reminded of that incident, just just how impatient I am. But my guess is I'm probably not the only person in this room that struggles with being patient. All of us struggle with being patient, don't we? It's difficult to wait on the Lord, to wait for the things that we feel like we need. And you see, that was on a good day. But what happens when things are bad? Well, it's that times 10, right? I mean, it's one thing for us to be patient and have to wait when we're having a good time, good days. But when days are bad, when things are not going well, my goodness, then we're extremely impatient. But you see, whenever we find ourselves in the midst of hardship, what we often do is we tend to either blow up or to give up. 
But God says both of those are the wrong approach. He says, Christian, you're going to have to wait on me, so be patient. You know, because I'm a pastor, sometimes people come to me with their problems and they tell me about their weaknesses and they want me to pray for certain things. And one of the prayer requests that I always get a kick out of is when somebody comes and says, you know, I'm just not patient. Would you pray for patience for me? I look at him and I say, okay, I'll pray for patience for you, but you realize what you're asking for, right? You can't ask me to pray for patience unless you're willing to be put in a situation where you're going to need that patience and you're going to be tested. And so I do that with people when they come and say that. You see, you can't ask for, for somebody to pray for patience and not be expected to be put in a situation where you're going to have to exercise it. And it's interesting because a lot of people today, they, they see patience. They think that patience is something like a natural talent, like something that some people are, are born with and, and that other people just didn't get that, like maybe that's a talent that they missed out on. But patience isn't something that you're born with. No, patience actually comes from a deliberate act of humility, according to what the scriptures teaches us. For example, in James chapter 4, it says, Now listen to you who say, Today or tomorrow, we're going to go to this city or that city. We're going to spend a year there, carry on business and make money. But you don't know what will happen tomorrow. James says, Instead, you ought to say, If it's the Lord's will, then we will go and then we'll do this or that. See, when things don't go our way, feelings of anger and despair set in because we assume how things should go or how they will go. Yet according to the Bible, patience comes only as we humble ourselves. But also, Paul says in Galatians 5.22 that patience is a fruit of having the Holy Spirit in your life. See, if the Holy Spirit's in your life, then as you grow in your walk with Christ, patience is something that will develop in you more and more, the Scripture says. But the only way you're ever going to be able to see it is to be put in a situation where you're going to need patience. That's why James says earlier in that letter, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be made perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You know, the only way that we have diamonds, ladies, is for a lump of coal to endure a lot of pressure over a lot of time. The only way a diamond can be formed is for a lump of coal to endure great pressure through years and years of pressure before it becomes a diamond. So if you find yourself in a place today where you're experiencing a lot of pressure, maybe from all sides, be patient and know that the Lord can use this thing, this suffering, this pressure to turn you into something great through it. And you may be saying, all right, Three points, Jody. I got it, right? You know, uh, be watchful in obedience with patience. I want to do that. That sounds great, but you have no idea what I'm going through in my life right now. It's way more serious than not getting my food on time at the restaurant when I think I need to get it. As a matter of fact, my problem that I'm facing is a threat to my health, my future, maybe even to my life. How can you tell me? How can I be patient in a time like this? Lastly, and most importantly, the Lord says that we as Christians must wait by faith. You see, verse 4 is one of the most important verses 
in all of the Bible. And you say, how do you know that? How can you say that any one verse is more important than any other? Well, I can say that because this verse is quoted three different times in the New Testament. So that means it must be really important. And speaking of Israel's enemies, the Lord says to Habakkuk, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous, the righteous, he says, shall live by faith. Now that last verse, the last part of that verse became the hallmark of the Protestant Reformation. That was the thing that the reformers held on to as they were coming out of the Roman Catholic Church and all of the problems and all of the, the sin and difficulty. That was the verse that, that they hung on to. Do you know why that was the hallmark verse of the Reformation? Well, the reason is because our nature as fallen human beings is not to live by faith. It is to live by what we see and how we feel and the things that we know and the things that we do. You see, naturally speaking, all of us trust very little outside of ourselves, and especially God. Every person, whether they're a believer or not, has faith, but the problem is their faith is not in the right thing. It is not in the Lord himself. But that's not the the way that God meant for it to be. That's not the way that he made us. No, we were made to trust in God and to live with him in full dependence upon him in righteousness. But you see, when God's goodness and his righteousness were called into question by the evil one, we turned away from the Lord in independence to live according to our own wisdom and our own ways. We became unrighteous, the Bible says, and that is what has brought misery and destruction not only to this world, but it's also what causes the problems and the difficulty in our lives. Sin is unrighteousness. It's not trusting God. It's not obeying. It's trusting ourselves, which the Bible also calls pride. Pride is being puffed up. Like Habakkuk says here, it thinks pride in its essence is thinking that you know better than God. It's thinking that you are qualified to take his place or to sit on his throne. You see, we may say, well, I don't know better than God. That's ridiculous for anybody to think Anything like that, the truth is our thoughts and our actions often say otherwise because we don't obey God's word and we're certainly not patient with him or with other people as we should be. But you see, because God is holy and just, that means our sin and our pride warrant punishment. God couldn't be holy. He wouldn't be righteousness. He would not be righteous if he allowed unrighteousness in us and against himself to go on as if it weren't important or didn't matter. You see, if we only obey God and wait on him when it's convenient for us or when things are good but not bad or in bad times but not also good, if anybody treated us like that, how would we feel? We'd be furious, right? We wouldn't stand it if if people only were our friend in good times or only in bad times. But when there was a change of circumstance, they went away. We want people to be patient with us. And we most certainly want God to be patient with us. Yet so often we don't wait on him. You see, waiting on the Lord means to love him at all times. And in every way, waiting on the Lord means to wait on him even when it seems like we're not getting a thing out of it. But you see, the just punishment of our disobedience and our unrighteousness, the scripture says, is death and spiritual and eternal separation from God. 
Now, friends, I know that many of you in this congregation, some of you have problems. All of us have some problems, but some of you have very serious problems in your life. But what you need to understand is that sin and death are the biggest problems that we all have. Those are our greatest problems, and they're problems that are too great for us to overcome in ourselves. And that's the bad news. But here's good news. The good news is that God has the only remedy to these problems and it's available to us as a free gift of all who will receive it by faith. You see, God's message that's alluded to here in this passage is that one day he would send forth a redeemer who would come generations after Habakkuk's day. And the fulfillment of the prophecy that we see here in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4 to bring judgment upon the wicked and to save those who live by faith is ultimately found in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God the Son who took on flesh, who stepped into a world of sin and brokenness and unrighteousness and lived a perfect life before God the Father in everything. And He spent His whole life watching and waiting until the day came when He would go to the cross at Calvary to fulfill His one purpose in coming which was to give himself for our sins and our unrighteousness. Why would Jesus Christ do that? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And my friends, if you believe the gospel... If you trust in Jesus Christ, if you know that he suffered and died and was raised so that we could be clothed in his righteousness, then now God the Father accepts us into his presence and into his family. You see, it's because Jesus has done everything necessary so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be accepted by God. We belong to him now by faith. Salvation is a gift of God's grace that we receive through faith. And so now as his people looking to Jesus in troubles, looking to Jesus in even times of good and plenty, we know that even as good today may be or even as bad today may be, there is a day coming when he will come again to gather us to himself once and for all. One day he will make everything right in this world. When he comes again in glory, we'll make everything as it should be. Because that's what he's promised to us. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Friends, that's a great verse for us to think on and to memorize so that when we find ourselves waiting, find ourselves in evil days, find ourselves seeing evil going on around us in the culture and the world around us to remember that God's patience means salvation for some. That's extremely important. There's a place in Luke chapter 12 where Jesus tells this parable about a master who went on a trip and he's left his servants behind to take care of, the th- of his estate really while he's away. And so some of the servants are obedient and they're faithful, waiting on their master to come back because they're sure he's going to come back because he said he would. But then we're told there's other servants who were disobedient because they didn't believe the master. They didn't believe he was really coming back. 
And so what Jesus is doing in this parable is it's his way of saying, I want my followers to wait upon me. I want them to wait for me. I want them to watch and to live obediently and to wait patiently in faith. Because brothers and sisters, Jesus says, I will keep my promise. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things that are not seen. And so that means for us, watching in obedience, watching with patience, watching and obeying, even though it's difficult at times, even though sometimes we may have doubts, yet we do not give up or lose heart because we trust that our master will do what he said. You know, in Luke chapter 12, verse 37, Jesus completes that parable by saying, it will be good for those servants uh, that the Lord, when he finds them, the, the, the Lord finds waiting when he returns. Because truly, I say to you, the master will dress himself to serve them. He will have them recline at the table and he will wait on them himself. Jesus is saying that though you're waiting for me now, you need to know that I'm focusing all my power on bringing redemption to you. And one day I will make it complete. And we know that when we see Jesus again, that he will gird himself and he will serve us on a future day when we will find lasting rest. Because we know that that's exactly what Jesus did in the past on the night before he was crucified. On the night before he was crucified, Jesus Christ took up a towel and he girded himself and he washed the disciples' feet. And the disciples were appalled. They couldn't believe it. How can you be doing this Lord Jesus. But what Jesus was saying to them was that I'm going to the cross and there I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to the cross and there I'm going to experience the ultimate delay. There I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And he did. But on the third day, Jesus was raised from death and he's ascended now to heaven where he rules and reigns over all creation as we patiently await his return. And Jesus said, I will come again. In John chapter 14, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Friends, this is the hope that we are waiting for. Do you have this hope in your life right now? Is this your hope in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial, whatever you or your family members may be facing? Do you know that better days are ahead? That our Savior, our King, is coming again to make everything right? You see, life is filled with great uncertainty. Life is filled with all kind of sufferings and sorrow. But if you know that Jesus Christ has not forsaken us, He did not forsake us in His darkest hour, then He will not forsake us today. He has sent his Holy Spirit to live within us and to be with us, guiding us until he returns so that then by faith we can wait watchfully in obedience and with patience. Under great physical suffering, Jesus, even under the wrath of God, waited for us. And because he did that, now we can wait on him. So brothers and sisters, let us go to him. And ask that he would give us his grace to wait by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage that you gave to the prophet Habakkuk. To be completely honest with you, Lord, we don't like waiting at all. 
It's hard, it's difficult, and especially when our lives or the lives of our loved ones are on the line. Lord, I ask that you would give much grace to all of us today, especially those who find themselves waiting in the midst of suffering and trial and sickness. Lord, I pray that this sermon and this passage specifically would be an encouragement to them in the days to follow, that your Holy Spirit would bring to mind your word and your works that your word tells us about so that we may remember and know that Jesus' promises still ring true for us today, that as our Savior has come, he has promised and he will come again. Hasten that day, we pray, and strengthen us by your Spirit to look forward and to it and to endure whatever you may have for us in the future. Bless us as we go forth from here tonight. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.